Good morning. It's Thursday, the 8th of June, and I'm Govindra Jaithiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. The headlines credit policy is coming up. Will interest rates hold or not? The government says it will pump over 89,000 crore rupees into the hemorrhaging BSNL. Foreign airlines like Emirates are pleading for more capacity into India, but the government says no. A conversation with Kapil Call at Kappa India. And hmm, while inflation and interest rates seem to be heading down, rentals and cost of living continue to rise. Mumbai is the most expensive city to live in for expats and must be for you and me too. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Where will interest rates go? Borrowing costs are rising for everyone. I mentioned just yesterday that a Bank of Baroda research study that looked at over 2000 company financial results found that weighted average lending rate on fresh loans had increased from 7.6% in March 22 to 9.3% in March 23. And yet credit grew at 15% compared to 9.6% the previous year. If you had taken a home loan 2 years ago, you would have paid around 6.75% or so. But if you were to approach one of the banks today, you would pay between 8.4 to 9% or even over that. The Reserve Bank of India is now expected to pause rate hikes today for a second consecutive month, partly because it realizes that we are all starting to hurt and second, inflation is easing. A survey of 40 economists by Bloomberg have forecasted that the Reserve Bank would keep the repo or repurchase rate unchanged at 6.5%. Also, India saw strong growth in the last quarter of last financial year and even for that matter the full year with GDP growth numbers coming in at a relatively unexpected 7.2% making India one of the world's fastest growing large economies. On the other hand, consumer price growth which you and I feel almost on a daily basis slowed to an 18 month low of 4.7% closer to the midpoint of the reserve bank's targeted 2 to 6% range. Now India will not be alone if it does not hike rates further. Many global central banks are holding on as they assess impact of previous hikes, see how the transmission is happening as well as taking note of the fact that commodity prices are now falling. BSNL gets more taxpayer money. The government of India has approved a revival package worth over 89000 crores for Bharat Sanchar Nigam Limited or BSNL the telecom operator that is owned by the government of India. Now this is the third revival package for the debt ridden telecom company. The government first approved a revival package for BSNL and MTNL in 2019 it was worth about 69000 crores and in 2022 it approved a second revival package amounting to 164000 crores or 164000 crores it's the kind of announcement that makes my free market heart skip a beat knowing that this is rarely a story that ends well particularly when a state owned struggler is in all out competition with the most aggressive indian industrial competitors as opposed to a government company commanding a near monopoly like ongc or indian oil Okay so the money that will be raised will go to support BSNL and of course provide faster mobile networks particularly in parts of India including border regions where private operators may not provide the same and of course pay for BSNL salaries a number which i will come to shortly 
BSNL has, according to reports, begun installing some 20,000 4G towers and is also targeting some 25,000 villages which don't have any connectivity. The sum of 89,000 crore for a company that is hemorrhaging is not a pleasant sight at a time when the government should be reducing its exposure or bringing in more private players. But telecom is a funny business and has become funnier or deadlier after Reliance Jio came in and swept away customers, the market, and market share to the detriment of almost all other players. So it depends, like I said, on where you sit or stand. Indeed, it would be easier to argue for BSNL to be privatized or sold off if private company Vodafone Idea did not sell itself to the government or offer a 33% stake in the company as it did in lieu of various payments, including the cost of Spectrum. So the government owns BSNL and MTNL. The latter struggles to provide mostly landlines in Mumbai and Delhi and has been on ventilator support for a while. And of course, Vodafone idea in which the government owns 33% via the Department of Investment and Public Asset Management. To give you an experiential view of MTNL for a moment, it took us three visits and multiple phone calls to the local MTNL office just to establish that there was no line going into the new building I shifted into a few years ago, nor would there ever be. Sir, I recommend you go with one of the private players. It does not look like we are going to lay a line there now. A trying to be helpful and I assume frustrated assistant engineer finally told me. Now, BSNL has wireline and wireless services, which you are likely to see or experience more in some cities and towns versus others. It has about 27,000 telephone exchanges with a capacity of 22 million lines, serving around 7 million customers. Now, these are wired lines. If you don't remember telephone exchanges, well, I want to, but I can't blame you. I guess you could Google it. BSNL employs over 60,000 people and had a revenue of around 20,698 crores and losses of about 8,116 crore for the year ended 23. Its salary bill, including pensions and the like, was 8,006 crores. While it could be argued that telecom is a sensitive business over which the government should have some oversight and perhaps control, it is not clear why, if we could finally sell Air India, we should not be setting the ground and stage for a full privatization or some level of change in management. About time. Now, just to give you further context of market shares for wireless subscribers, Reliance Jio is at 422 million, Bharti at 370 million, that's Bharti Airtel, and Vodafone Idea is at 236 million. BSNL Well has around 105 million subscribers, but it appears that their active subscribers are less compared to the others. So, overall, a less than 10% hold in the market. Former Finance Minister Arun Jetli said once that if private airlines could carry 80% of India's passenger traffic, there was no reason they could not carry the other 20% too. He was making a case for Air India's privatization, which, as you know, finally did happen. I was unable to get the exact employee numbers for the other three companies, but they seem much less compared to BSNL and obviously have more subscribers and no telephone exchanges. The telephone exchanges, by the way, are valuable real estate, which will hopefully be monetized and fast. So to conclude, at least for now, the 33% that the government owns in Vodafone is worth more in subscriber base than its own BSNL, is my sense. I'm pretty sure the yields are way higher too. The Vodafone's finances are not exactly in good shape either. But that's another story. India needs more airline capacity. Fares into and out of India have been sky high for some time and are refusing to relent, at least for now. 
Obviously, this is linked to capacity of which there is not enough and also more and more people are flying. Aviation consulting and research company Kappa India says that there are roughly 72 million international passengers in and out of India right now. Domestic demand, by the way, is around 160 million. Now, in the international pie, roughly 55% of traffic is carried by foreign airlines and 45 by Indian carriers. Now, airlines like Emirates are openly canvassing for more capacity into India. Its president, Sir Tim Clark, earlier this week said the group has had no increase in seats in India since 2015 and during this period, the country's economy has grown at a great pace, something you cannot argue with. However, the government is not in favour of granting additional seats or bilaterals as they're called. Emirates, which operates only wide-body A380s and B777s, flies to nine Indian cities and operates more than 160 weekly flights to India. Emirates can operate about 65,000 seats from Dubai to India in each direction every week. The government also refused United Airlines to code share with Emirates on routes from India. The permission to code share was apparently denied as this is not covered under the traffic rights agreement between India and Dubai. United, by the way, is flying fewer routes to India now because it does not fly over Russia, where there is a war going on with Ukraine. All in all, not a good week for Emirates. But what does this mean for overall capacity and demand in India? And more importantly, what can we make of how fares could go in the next year or so? To speak on this, I'm now joined by Kapil Kaul, CEO and Director of Kappa India. Number one is that the traffic, uh, the capacity is about 90% of pre-COVID right now. So we're not exactly pre-COVID, but we are getting there. And out of that, you would expect about 55% share of foreign carriers and about 45% of Indian carriers. We expect the capacity for FY24 to be about 88 million for international. And if I break that into 55, 45% breakup, you will get almost about 50 million for foreign carriers capacity and 38 million for Indian carriers capacity. And in terms of traffic, we would expect the traffic uh, capacity is 88 million. We would expect traffic to be 72 to 75 million for this fiscal, out of which 42 odd would be foreign carriers and about 33 plus would be Indian carriers. So the traffic around 72 to 75 million, capacity around 88 million, and the share of foreign carriers is 55 and Indian carriers is 45. So that's the status right now. And the uh, international air capacity out of India is 90% of pre-COVID. So we're getting almost to pre-COVID. Right. And how do you see other requests or demands made by carriers asking for more capacity, like in this case being Emirates, which obviously is perhaps the largest international carrier of Indian traffic out of India? So I'll, I'll give you some, just a very quick, uh, you know, background to Indian bilaterals. It will be worth going a little prior to 2004. So there were multiple phases in our bilateral regime because we don't have a policy framework, which is which is a structured cabinet approved policy in the bilaterals. So we have gone through phases and I'll share some of the phases with you just for reference. Prior to 2004, Govind, it was almost impossible to get bilaterals in India. So the market access was closed. We were one of the markets which was seem to be permanently closed for market access. Now, that's largely because of Air India. From the period between 2004 and 8, we opened up very liberally across markets and geographies, included an almost open sky with you, almost an open sky with UK, except Heathrow rest of the airports were open sky. So we call it a near open sky with UK. And we, we signed an open sky with the United States. 
that was between 2004 to 8, very liberally we opened up. From 2008 to 15, except the bilaterals that were given to Etihad and around 10 odd thousand seats to Emirates, we had a near freeze between 2008 to 15. From 2015 to 2023, the freeze has continued. The government's policy is focused on Indian carriers, focus on Indian carriers increasing that international share. And during the period of 2015 to 23, except Oman and Saudi, uh, we didn't give any bilaterals to foreign carriers. And the idea was that let Indian carriers get almost closer to the entitlements that the foreign carriers are using. And between 2015 to 23, we had a major milestone, which is the Air India's acquisition and a multi-billion dollar investment by Tata's, both in terms of upgrading the airline and in terms of fleet, further resulted in, in tightening of bilaterals because here was an entity which is going to invest billions of dollars into fleet, into modernizing the airline. You wanted to primarily give them some room before you allow foreign carriers to access. And Air India's acquisition, directly or indirectly, has resulted in further freezing of the bilateral regime in India. The bilateral regime has become so constrained that even when United is asking for a third country code share with Emirates, even though it's included in the bilaterals, it's not allowed. Air Canada is asking a similar arrangement with Emirates via Dubai, even though that's included in the bilaterals, it's not allowed. So basically what we are trying to say is that the uh, bilateral regime is near frozen. The focus is on Indian carriers reaching a significant share of international. And till then, I would think at least till mid of next year, I don't see this changing. And it could be perhaps more than one year that the freeze will continue. Now, if you look at entitlements, what are the foreign carriers asking? Between Emirates, which has not got any increase for the last 10 years, Air Arabia for 10, 12 years, Qatar for 15 years, Turkey for closer to 15 years, and there are other carriers who will be looking for increased bilateral, Singapore, Thai, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China particularly. The estimate for further requests by foreign carriers are to the tune of 150,000 to 175,000 weekly seats is the current request by Middle East, Asian, if you include Turkey in Europe, some European carriers, overall 150,000 plus seats is the ask by foreign carriers. And we are going to see a near freeze at least till mid of next year. I think you've defined it well. You're saying that really for a year or so, don't expect anything. And in a larger sense, Air India gets some kind of runway for growth and stability or stabilization, then also don't expect anything. I would say maybe it could be more than a year. More than a year. So what does this mean then for fares? I mean, in a broad sense, where we are today and looking ahead, because that's been obviously the big problem for most travelers, as in fares are sky high now, uh, mostly going west. Yeah, so um, uh, there is a constraint right now because the Russian airspace, which is a critical crossing point between east and west, west and east, is more or less closed. So American airlines like United and other carriers can't fly to India. They have to take a longer detour. The economics don't support. The aircraft range doesn't support. So the Russian airspace freezing for most of the carriers except India and a few other countries is creating this pain point, which is elevating the pressure, particularly to North America. And till that is not sorted out, you will see the easing up of fares will only happen if Indian carriers put in more capacity. But in contrast, what was happening is because most of the European carriers particularly uh, are seeing Air India 
wanting to getting modern fleet, modernizing their products, increasing their direct uh, connectivity across to Western markets. They have started increasing frequencies. You have just heard Lufthansa doing Frankfurt to um, Hyderabad. Virgin has launched a flight to uh, to Bangalore. Swiss Airways launching to Bangalore. Once the aircraft comes for Austrian, you may see direct Vienna flights. You may see after the acquisition of ITA in Italy, you may see flights from Italy to India. So I think to preempt Air India getting more aggressive and taking a lion's share of India's market, most of the European markets are taking, most of these airlines don't have a bilateral issue. So they are going to, you will see Air France KLM increasing frequencies out of India. You will see the European carriers increasing frequencies and connecting to North American markets. Indian carriers, when Air India gets these new aircraft, they're supposed to get about 15 odd new aircrafts or wide body, but it'll start easing from next, uh, let's say, second half of the physical, possibly next year. Right, Kapil, thank you so much for that. And I do hope to connect with you very soon once again. Hmm, even as we rejoice in the prospect that interest rates may not go up, and I will not have to pick it outside the Reserve Bank of India's headquarters in Ballad Estate, Mumbai, elsewhere, the vice is tightening. For the second year in a row, Mumbai has emerged as the most expensive Indian city to live for expatriates, a report said on Wednesday. Mumbai and Delhi were amongst the top 35 most expensive cities in Asia for expatriates again. According to Mercer's 2023 cost of living survey, Mumbai has seen an increase of 13-15% to in rental prices in 2023 as compared to 2022. Now, this was the highest amongst all other cities surveyed for the report. Obviously, if rentals are rising for expats, they're mostly rising for others too, and in most parts of the cities. On the other hand, almost all cities in India apparently showed a rise in the cost of living, mainly in turn due to a rise in rents and the cost of essential commodities like fruits, vegetable and milk. So did you want to know the least expensive places to live in? Well, one is Havana in Cuba, a little far and the language may be a problem. That was followed by Karachi and Islamabad. That's it from me for today. Have a great Thursday and see you tomorrow. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>